Now, how about that for some opening music? You are listening to Season 3 of the Broadway and Beyond Podcast, and I am your host, Brian Keith Wilson. First, I want to wish you all a happy new year. I'm so thankful and blessed to all of my listeners. You guys, we are coming to you bigger, better, and beyond this season. We have some awesome guests. I'll get into that later. We're still here fighting the panorama another year, right? And trying to stay COVID-free. Amen. Please make sure you are masking up, getting vaccinated, suited, and booted, okay? Let's do our part to end this hellacious disease. Now, enough about Ms. Rona. So I was on Instagram the other day, and I was listening to my good, good girlfriend in my head, Ms. Tammy Roman, and the Bonnet Chronicles, right? Now get into it. And she was talking about New Year's resolutions and how every year we make them, and it kind of sets us up to fail, right? So she said, how about we think about evolution instead of resolutions? How do we plan to evolve through the year? So did you make a New Year's resolution? Have you bought a new gym membership? Let's change up the game this year and let's evolve. Let's try something different. Now, I am sure by now you know that I have an awesome interview coming with my friend, Emmy Award winning Broadway star, Mr. Antoine L. Smith, who I call the voice of Broadway. Stay tuned for my candid interview with Antoine as he talks about his journey to Broadway and his current role playing Barry Gordy in the soon-to-be mega Broadway hit, MJ, the musical. So go get a nice warm cup of hot cocoa or tea and listen to the smooth sounds of Antoine L. Smith singing Free at Last from the Tony Award-winning musical, Big River. Music by Roger Miller and book by William Hopman. Smith and you are listening to the Broadway and Beyond podcast. I wish by golly I could spread my wings and fly. And let my grounded soul be free For just a little while To be like eagles when They ride upon the wind And taste the sweetest taste of freedom For my soul Then I'll be free at last Free at last Break God on my free at last to let my feelings lie when heart cannot combine and hurts always hurt heart that needs to rest while I wish my God could spread my wings and fly and taste the sweetest taste of freedom for my soul then I'll be free at last free at last great God Almighty I'll be 
last. I'd be free at last. I'd be free at last. Break out of my I'd be free at last. I'd be free at last. Oh Lord, I'd be free at last. Break out of listening to the Broadway and Beyond podcast with your host, Brian Keith Wilson. Stay tuned with my in-depth interview with Broadway star Antoine L. Smith. You do not want to miss this interview. Keep it locked. Stay tuned. I want to welcome you all back to listening to Broadway and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Keith Wilson, and you guys wouldn't believe who I have with me today. This guy is... I would say, you know, he's been around the boards a minute. Um, oh, yeah. He's been in shows like Memphis, Color Purple, you know, the little shows, little Miss Saigon. And now he's playing Barry Gordy in MJ, the musical. So I have with me the incomparable Antoine L. Smith with us today on the Broadway and Beyond podcast. So, Antoine, thank you so much for taking the time to have a little chat with us and uh, just get into your business and what you got going on on Broadway and all that good stuff. So welcome to the show. Thank you. It's my absolute pleasure. I'm so excited to just catch up with you because uh, I think the last time that we shared space with each other was this past summer in July. Antoine uh, was uh, one of the characters in my choreo form for Color Boys and it was that moment we were able to finally meet because I guess we've been exchanging messages back and forth on on social media and all that good stuff. So that was just a great opportunity to share space with you over the summer. Yes, yes. And it was my pleasure to portray your man in red. Um beautiful, beautiful piece. I cannot wait to revisit it. Uh, you know what? Look, <laughs> listen, from your mouth to God's ears, we are you know, we are just trying to see what what this good old industry is going to do. <laughs> amen, amen. But, you know, I just want to talk a little bit about you because I love having the opportunity to talk with people in the industry that look like me and give other listeners, young people that are, you know, wanting to go into a career like this, give them an opportunity to be able to hear distinctly from someone that looks like them in the industry as well. Right. So I'm really excited to just get in your business, as I would say, and just learn more about you and um, just, you know, talk about what brought you on this journey. So, you know, where are you from and when did the, the theater journey begin for you? So I am originally from Barry, Indiana, um, surprisingly, wow. also the home of uh, 
hometown of Michael Jackson, the Jackson Five, Victoria, you know, all of them. So. Um, but I also uh, spent uh, some of my life in Iowa where my parents uh, currently reside. Uh, but the theater and performing has always been a part of my life ever since I can remember. Uh, my grandmother, my father's mother, was a playwright and she would write plays and of course she would use her family members to do the plays, her sons, her nieces, her uh, grandchildren, her, her daughter, you know, just, you know, the family. So it actually began at a really, really young age and it has taken me to the place that I am now. Wow, so it's in your blood. So it's something that with the territory of being a Smith, huh? Yeah. Well, my 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 grandmother uh, was a uh, butler. Okay. Madupe Omowali was her name. May she rest. Uh, but yeah, she was a beautiful, amazing playwright. Wow. You know, uh, one of the things I always say is we got to give homage to the ancestors and give them reverence in um, in anything and everything that we do. So I'm glad that you were able to you know, talk to us about her and, and and her as a playwright as well. So that's really cool. Oh, yeah. Honor your ancestors daily. Every day? Daily. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, so, you know, growing up, you know, we all have talents and stuff like that. You know, a lot of people, you know, their talent is sports and all that other stuff. So when did you know that you could, sing like when did you know that okay I, I actually can do this thing now that the the, the singing part um it, like a lot of people of our uh background started in church right. so um i got my first church solo and you know everybody yeah, that that that's when i knew truly really but not until i got older did i realize what I could do with that gift. I just knew then, now looking back, that that was when I first realized that, man, I can sing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's where it all started, in the church. And always you, in the church. Always in the church. And you know, one of the things <laughs> that, you know, because I got my start in the church as well. And, you know, it's just one of those things where I just say, look, this is the perfect starting point for anybody that wants to have any type of performing arts career because one they're going to let you know if you got it right and they're going to let you know if you ain't got it they're going to let you know that and they're also is also going to teach you how to uh listen to your part how to learn your part how to train your ear when you grow up in the black church choir Mm -hmm. ain't no sheet music nope the choir director is plunking your part out on the piano and you get it and you learn an entire song that way. Yeah. So that was, it, it truly trains you, it disciplines you beyond. And, you know, and it helps, beyond. Like, like you said, that ear training because, yes. you know, there's been many times, and I'm sure that you can attest to this, being in an ensemble of a musical and, you know, you're learning your parts or whatever. And people are having, you, you look around you and you see people struggling. Right. Trying to learn these parts. I'm like, man, if they would have just been at Rise and Star Missionary Baptist Church, <laughs> uh, growing up all their life under Ollie Williams, plunking out them parts, 
And, you know, you got, what, maybe one, two, three times at the most that they may play that part for you, and that's it. Right. And that's it. And you just got to keep going. Sometimes it's easy, well, at least I'll just speak for myself, but it's easier to just to hear it and then stop looking at the paper because once you, if you get stuck on that paper, I'm just, I'm just talking about for me personally. Yeah. So when I hear it, it's played, I hear it, I keep it. Yeah. I keep it. Yeah, yeah, I'm same here. It's like once I got, once I hear it, I got it. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I attest it to that, to that ear training, that early ear training uh, of the church. So, uh, you know, right. You know, and you'd be surprised how many A-list singers that are from our background that do not know how to read music. Michael Jackson didn't know how to read music, but he he had an ear for what he needed to hear and what you know is just something about that ear. Yeah. And, you know, I guess, you know, you know, growing up in this industry, working with the people that we've worked with, you know, we, you know, work with some talented folks, you know, that are, oh, yeah. that are trained, that are degreed up. They got all this stuff behind their name. Yeah. But then I started to go back and think about some of the people that trained me in the church and people that I worked with in the church. And I'm like, these people are off bad as heck, these people are, are that, no natural training, natural, natural training and ability. <laughs> Can listen to a song one time, twice maybe, yep. and got it. But that that's how you, when I was growing up, we did every single Kirk Franklin album that came out. Right. And you know, there, there's no sheet music to that mm -hmm. stuff. You just, the director would listen to it, come in, Play that part, soprano. This is it. Ding, 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 ding. Mm -hmm. This is it. Ding, 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 ding. Everybody together. Ding, 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 ding. And, and you got it. Yeah. You just got it. Yeah, I remember one day it was uh, we were doing a youth musical, and of course, you know, I was picked to come up and sing, and I hadn't listened to the song "Conquerors" by Kirk Franklin. Oh man! Now and, that was that was that was my song, and I was learning it. You know, it, 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 it was just one, it was one of those blood memories that's coming right back to me. Right at um, it was a church in Dickinson, Texas. But we, you know, she was like, she was like, ah, oh, Brian, come here because this go work for you. And I'm like, well, I don't know the song. She's like, well, you're gonna learn now. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and teaching the song as I'm learning it, and then gotta perform it the next day. Listen, we are good for showing up on a Sunday with the paper in hand. Go ahead and sing it. I'm uh, all right, but I definitely have to hold the paper. It's all right. Go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> where's, the, where's, the, where's the music stand? Where is the music stand? Yeah. Uh, write the lyrics down and go ahead. Let the Lord let the Lord use you. Bro. Yeah. You're gonna have to because I don't know. And you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a musician from Houston. I'm sure you probably heard of him. B. Michael McKay. He's written pretty much every hit for Yolanda Adams, right? And he's from Houston, and I've been in workshops with him, choir workshops. He's even one of the people that really attests to developing Jennifer Holiday back in the day in Pleasant Grove, uh, wow. in Houston. And so, you know, Mike B. Michael McKay has this thing to where you know you'll learn a song with him. Right. In a workshop, right? And he'll be like, okay, we're not going to do that song. But then, you know, you as a soloist and people in the choir, 
but okay, well, we ain't got to worry about that song. And all of a sudden, you'll get in to the actual date of the show and in the middle of the the, uh, the performance, he's like, nah, let's go ahead and do this. So he'll you'll be up there with the mic, holding the mic and playing the song and everybody's eyes are glued on him, right? And so, and he's feeding you the lyrics and you're singing them as he's feeding them to you. Man. Man, man, man. The power Listen. of the Michael McKay, I tell you, that man is... <laughs> Church and his own self is a production always. It is. It is. The lights, everything. You know, it's, it's definitely grown into that. Um, oh, absolutely. So, you know, with growing up in the church, evolving your gift and your talents, you 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 make it to, you know, Broadway. What was what was that journey like? What was the educational journey and what was it like to land on Broadway with your debut? got a backpack in a little bit. Um, so um, I went to the University of South Dakota where I studied classical voice acting. Um, I thought I was going to be an opera singer. I wanted to be an opera singer <laughs> badly, but then uh, realizing the reality of that and being a uh, opera star and being an African-American male it just it, there just aren't many African American opera stars, which is what I really wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But I ended I I ended up falling in love with musical theater, which allowed me to truly sing. Um, not that opera wasn't the way that I wanted to sing, but it it, it it brought me back to what I was comfortable with, like like gospel music, like being able to sing gospel music in musical theater was amazing, but you can also sing classical music in uh, in uh, theater. But um, my journey began with the University of South Dakota uh, classical voice. Uh, after after the University of South Dakota, I actually took a couple of uh, a couple of years off uh, performing and went to culinary school. Okay, and got a culinary degree. Wow! So. The boy can also cook. Okay, okay. Well, we, we you know, we will we will revisit that because you know one of our great friends, Mr. Robert Hartwell, we've been talking about you know me. I'll be coming to the city soon and um, doing a brunch and a dinner. So we're going to have to yes, yes. Yeah. all of that. Yes, yes, yes. So um, literally three weeks after uh, graduating from culinary school, I went on tour with uh, a show called Dragon's Tale. Dragon Tale. It was with a company called V Corporation, which also does Sesame Street Live. So I did a year of Dragon Tale, and then I did two and a half years as Big Bird uh, on Sesame Street. So after those two and a half years of Sesame Street, I moved to New York City in 2000, uh, December, 13th of 2007. I would, I would never forget because it was such a uh, monumental moment in my life. Mm-hmm. So I moved to New York City uh, December 13th, 2007. Um, I auditioned for the national tour of Cats, I think, in like January or February. And then I booked that and went on, went on tour with that for a year. Um, 
after that, I can yeah, I know I'm trying to chronologically Chronologically, what happened? So uh, <laughs> I went on tour with Cat uh, for a year uh, from 2008 to 2009. Um, did a little bit of regional theater between 2009 and 2011. 2011 comes around. They are auditioning for the national tour of uh, Memphis. And I'm like, man, this is this is huge. Like, this will be my first. Like, I I, I was on the national tour of Kevin. That was the the non tour of Cat. Not not to, not to say anything is wrong with not act. Absolutely not. Like, it's not at all. But this was an opportunity to audition for a. like this you know it 
it's well worth the journey, y'all. You know, when you hear, you know. It's well worth the journey. And let me tell you this. I, a lot of people, you know, they graduate from college and what, 22, 23 years old. They come to New York. They grind for like two years. They're what, 24, 20, 24, 25. Man, I'm not making it. I gotta, I'm not going to make I was 30 years old when I made my Broadway baby. So you never know when your time is. You can't be like, oh, I'm only, I've only been here for two years. And that, that. You just never know. Everybody's path is different. Yeah. Some people get it immediately. Some people, it just, it just takes you a little while. And you know, you, you know, you look at other people in their careers. You look at, because um, I think in one of the plays that I'm working on now, um, the mother is kind of talking to her son about, you know, different people in the industry that didn't make it until their forties, like Samuel Jackson. Right. He was, that man was 39 or 40 before he got his big break. And now he's one of the highest paid, paid actors in history. Look, I'll wait. All right. <laughs> wait, when your time, when your time, your time will never pass you by no matter how long it takes. And me and my friends talk about this all the time. Jonathan, you know, Jonathan, we yeah. talk about this all the time. He was in a situation where he he was in a uh, a Broadway show. Something happened, and he had to, he he wasn't able to do that Broadway show. But what happened for him in the next Broadway show that he got? Unreal. I don't want to give the story away because you might have him on the yeah, show. Actually, and he will tell you. He's a guest. He's going to be a guest. Okay. Uh, I think next month for us. And he will tell you his own story about when your time is your time. It's going to be your time. That's it. Right. When it's your time, it is your time. And it won't pass you by ever. Yeah, and it goes back to, you know, what, you know, what the old folk, you know, used to say, you know, what God has for you is for you. It's for you. And it won't at any moment be for anybody else. Exactly. Exactly. It is well worth the wait. And, you know, and I, you know, like they like they say, I bear witness, you know, because things are, you know, I'm just blessed, you know, myself. And so, you know, when you hear, you know, someone else, you know, that is in this business and a friend and you hear them talk about that, it's just, you know, another confirmation moment, y'all. So you got to stay in it. You know, you got to stay in it and you got to stay rooted, grounded in whatever your faith is, whatever it is. You know, I, I was watching the, uh, the crown and, um, there was this moment when, um, uh, the, the man that was married to queen Elizabeth, I forgot his name, but he queen said, Andrew. yes. And his mother came. No, you know, Prince, Philip. Prince Philip. Prince yeah. Philip. Yeah, because Prince Andrew, I think he's in some trouble. Yeah, he, right now, he's going through it right now. He <laughs> is, he's being stripped of titles and everything. He is going Let through Let me clear that up. It was Prince Philip. Yeah, he is, like my mama said, he is going through IT. It. Man, they have completely stripped. They, they said, look, we don't know. I do not know this man. I'm sorry, but I do not know him. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I do not know him. Absolutely, <laughs> 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 Who is this man? <laughs> yeah, it's, he is going through it. Yeah, it's a it's a business, you know. And it was this moment in I was watching The Crown, and Prince Philip's mom, you know, she was supposed to be crazy, and she came and she was just talking to him. He was going through a lot of things going on with being a royal, 
And the one thing she told him, she's like, you know, she says, son, are you, you know, you know, are you praying? Are you, you know, you have faith or, you know, what's going on in your life, you know, spiritually? He's like, nothing. And she's like, no matter what, get some kind of faith. Sometime. You know, we're not coming to preach, you know, here on the podcast or anything, but I, you know, I am, you know, who I am. And I definitely want people to know that, the, the you know, the more you are connected to something, you know, rooted in something, you know, it helps you navigate through this, you know, as, as our, our friend uh, Shakespeare said, this mortal toil that we deal with, you know, in, in this world. So, you know, definitely stay rooted uh, in that way. Um, but... You know, so we have made it to Broadway, um, and you're now, you know, working. You're on the boards, and I'm sure life as you have seen it and life as you knew it kind of has changed. And, you know, working as a performer, it has its ups and downs. How do you maintain that balance of being Antoine, the Broadway performer, and Antoine, just a regular, regular, smegular guy trying to navigate through life? Um, truly, the way that I'm able to maintain is my family. Like, my mother and my father, my brother, like, my nieces and nephews, they, my sister-in-law, they all, they keep me so grounded. Um, and, and, you know, you got, I think it's important to also have a close community of actual friends in this business that we are in we have so many um associates mm. um but it is very important to have people that you actually can call friends like people that you can cry to people that you can celebrate with and that are going to be genuinely happy for you and that are going to be genuinely there to hug you with are feeling down in life, not necessarily just because you didn't get a job or an audition, but somebody that's going to be there to talk to you about real life. Because acting and on stage, that's pretend. Real life is real life. So I think it's important to have um, that balance that you know what is real life and you know what is not real life and that you have people that you can call on, people that you can, you know, lean on with you know. So I thank God for my parents, my family every single day, and I thank God for those friends who are like my family. Yeah. Because I just it, it's so important to have that balance because if you don't, man, life will make you crazy. Yeah, and this industry will make you crazy. It, this industry especially will make you crazy. If you are not grounded in who you are, it will turn you into something that you are not. Yeah. Yeah, because everybody's there when you book the job. Everybody's there when you book the job, but you know, when you're not, when, when, when you're not, people just are like, well, I don't know what to say. Like, how do I? Yeah. So it's very important to have those people that you know will be there, whether you are booked on a job or whether you're just, you know, living your regular life. Mm-hmm auditioning, trying to make it happen. Right, right, right. You need that support. You definitely need that support. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I look to almost daily from you are your posts. 
Um, <laughs> if anyone follows Mr. Sean <laughs> Smith on Instagram, you know that he has some posts that reaches your condo. <laughs> oh, it gets you, you in your condo. You know, it really thank gets you. you. And um, so, I, you know, I, I, I love it. I, I'm so thankful for that because, you know, as artists in this business, you know, even when you're having your ups, you still have some downs, you know, that are going on. Right, right, right. And, um, and it's just a great thing to be able to have, you know, those little nuggets of, ah, uh-uh, focus. Uh-uh, get, you are there. Get, just, <laughs> just chill out, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I, I definitely implore you all that are listening to check out Mr. Anton Elsmith's uh, Instagram, um, and uh, especially if you're needing those little moments of lifting uh, of the spirits, I think that's a great, great thing to be able to uh, to reference back to um, on the internet because I'm telling you, the internet is crazy. The internet is it's it's, crazy, and, it's like and that's why I right, and that's why I wanted to make my Instagram, you know, something that people can come and get a nice little uplifting word, but also, you know, sometimes I'll post a little funny stuff to get yeah, people yeah. talking about, like, my, you too old for this, or you too young for this, and I'll do a, you know, a throwback to the 90s or the 80s. You know, it's all about balance and just, you know, making yourself smile and making other people smile and, you know, forgetting the crazy craziness of the world for just a little bit. We have to. We have to, yeah. we have, to have those moments of, you know, I think it was Tabitha Brown who said... Man, that story. That's what's the... She's going to be a guest on my podcast one day. Tabitha, I know you're listening. She will be. She will be. I know you're listening. We'll be. have to get you on here. Like so, like that. Like uh, so, like that. Uh, but she was... Um, talking about how, you know, she's been elevated in her career. Right. Where, you know, and I remember what, you know, when she was doing the the talk about that sandwich that she got from uh, Whole Foods. I remember that from Whole Foods. That first one. That's, that that's what got her started off. That's what started it. And listening to her talk, you know, about where she <laughs> was and where she is now and how her mm-hmm. husband was just you know, he was, you know, manning the fort and taking care of the family, taking care of the house. And one of the things that she said that, you know, that really, I think that we forget as adults, you know, living in, in, in adulting, um, she said this thing of, you know, she said, babe, I want you to dream like a kid again. And I'm like, you know, I think we forget to do that. We're adults, you know, we, you know, we're adulting, we're doing grown folk stuff, you know, and we don't have those opportunities and times where we just sit and reflect and, and dream like a kid. Cause you know, when we were kids, we was dreaming, oh, we was, we was going to be astronauts. We was going to Superman. I'm going to be, right. you know, I'm going to be on the Cosby show. That was one of my, one of my dreams. I'm going to be on the Cosby show one day. I mean, I didn't get on the Cosby show. But, you know, that's, that's, those are the things that we, we dream so big when we're little. And then as we get older and reality, we're like, man, I don't know. Yeah. This is hard. Yeah. <laughs> so we got we to gotta get back to that. We got to get back to the dreaming big, 
you know, and not let not thinking age or circumstance, demographic, you know, monetary predicament or anything, you know, is the hindrance. We have got to get back to that that thing of dreaming big again. And, and let me say this stuff. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go I was going to say, and, and about Tabitha Brown, she thought that the way she spoke and that the way that she was, that she would never, ever make it. Because, you know, she speaks a certain way. Yeah. You know, she, was, she, she has a certain way that she speaks. And she thought that because she spoke like that, that she would not make it. And it is because that she is her authentic self that she is making it right now. I'm just so thankful to the times that we're living <clears throat> truly because, you know, because of the times that we're living, we can live authentically in ourselves mm -hmm. our being. because and you think about the business that we're in, in the spaces that we've navigated, uh, right. the code switching that we had to do, right. PTO time, you know, in the right. space um, and lessening our blackness in right. the space, you know, for the sake of others. Um, right. That time is over. Oh, over, over, over. It's over now. now. <laughs> Come through. You know, it is we done. It's over. And I, <laughs> going back to this summer, <laughs> what, <laughs> Work it off for color boys um, at Man. the theater. I, you know, I mind you, it took me a good flight to get them. Yeah, my travel journey and my travel woes was ridiculous. I'm still blind. Man, I would, did you hear about what happened to us on the way there? I know the man on the the track. A man jumped in front of the train and killed himself. <laughs> it was like what? But yeah, it was yeah, it was a dandy. <laughs> and, and, and you know, and, and when I was stuck, I was stuck in I was stuck in North Carolina for eight hours. Wow! And and I was just saying to myself because I talked to Joey uh, with the Fulton, and he was just like, "Oh, let me tell you what happened to the boys that are coming in from uh, New York." I was like, "You know what, God?" I said, "There has to be a blessing <laughs> coming because everybody that's trying to get there is having a hindrance." <laughs> I hindering, yeah. but man, when we got there, hmm. I, I was, you know, I met with Robert that morning, <laughs> and I, you know, because we didn't know who we were walking into. I right. said, you know, my thing. Is, I mean, I could kind of tell just by where we were going, but I said, I just want to be truthful. <laughs> I just want to tell the truth and be authentic selves. And you know, and he, he was just saying, he's like, now you know, you get. All of us, seven black men in a room who all have gifts and talents and abilities, we just don't know what could happen. I said, well, my spirit right. is open. And when I tell you, <laughs> we was black. Oh, we were very. That city will never be the same. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It will not. And it just it felt good. It felt good. And I... And I'm in just like we were saying about the times in which we were living. I don't know if we would have been able to have moments like that five years ago. Right. This is true. You know, it would have taken a long time to get there to even be comfortable in the space to be able to do that. 
So it's just a blessing to be able to live in the time that we're living in now, to be able to, to authentically, wholeheartedly be our complete selves walking into the space. Right, right, right. Yeah. That was part one of my interview with Antoine L. Smith. We're going to take a quick break while listening to the voice of Broadway, Mr. Antoine L. Smith, singing You'll Never Walk Alone from the hit Broadway musical Carousel. So, you know, I, I I know that this conversation was going to be a conversation. This was not going to be a regular <laughs> interview. This is just going to be me catching up with my friend and, and, and someone who I definitely admire in this business. Um, and one of the things that you did, you know, in your journey, in your career, is that you had the opportunity to play Curly in an all-black production of Oklahoma. What was that experience like? Because one, I didn't get a chance to see it, but you know, me being the theater nerd and journalist, I'm all over the place with trying to find out what's going on with black people in this business. And then I saw this, I was like, oh, I said, what? This has got to be a great theatrical moment. So tell us about that journey, that moment, and and all of that. So. Um yeah, well, first of all, let me let me tell you this story because a lot of people believe that Broadway is great. Yes, it is. It is the the cream of the crop. It is, it is the pinnacle of the musical theater world. <clears throat> so I was uh, in Carousel on Broadway um, 
understudy uh, Josh Henry, who was playing Billy Bigelow. Okay. And, and they were having auditions for this all-black production of Oklahoma in Denver, Colorado. And to somebody that has never been on Broadway or to somebody that like, man, Broadway is so great with this, man, why would you want to leave Broadway to go do a regional theater? And mm-hmm. it was because we do not get those opportunities to play those kinds of roles. Right. Um, the fact that uh, Josh was able to play Billy Bigelow right. was a blessing for him because he was the first to ever play Billy Bigelow. Black man, Billy Bigelow. I mean, the, the story in, the story in itself of character is already problematic. But then oh my God. When, you, when you add another layer, such as a black man in the turn of the century, turn of the century married to, well, not even the turn of the century, like before that, right. um, married to a white woman, impregnates a white woman, has a baby mm-hmm. by a white woman. That, that, that's a whole other story. But um, they were having auditions for Curly, and I wanted to be in that all-black production of Oklahoma and Denver Regional Theater. So, yes, I auditioned. Um, couple of callbacks and it I left that Broadway show to go do uh Oklahoma because it was artistically fulfilling, it was spiritually fulfilling for me. You can be on Broadway and be so unhappy and go do a regional theater and be the happiest you have ever been in your life. Mm-hmm. So to um have that opportunity and to be directed by Chris Coleman who had this amazing idea to have an all black cast because I don't think a lot of people know this, but Oklahoma and Denver had about 50 or 60 all black cities and towns in them. Mm -hmm. And we know, we know of the most, the most famous one um, that was completely demolished for what, ever reason right. they wanted to demolish it. But um, going into that process, I learned so much about myself, so much about our past as cowboys that we right. don't, they don't teach us in the history books. Oh, yeah. There were thousands of black cowboys. The Buffalo Soldiers, which are rooted here in Houston. It, it, people have no idea. And I'm going to tell you, the term cowboy came from uh, differentiating the black cowboy from the white cowmen because the white cowboys were called cowmen and the black cowboys were called cowboys and then it all became cowboy eventually. But um, Come on, teach us. Listen, these are things that I didn't even know about because they we, were not taught about these things. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of black men became cowboys and their families being, you know, out on the range is because they were free to do so. You know, and it, 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 it just blows my mind the things that we are not taught about ourselves that we have to find out on our own, which I mean, we should be studying, but, and finding out things on our own, but to go there and to do this production and to be surrounded by so many beautiful black people 
capable black people of mm. singing Rodgers and Hammerstein. I mean, singing the music. Singing the music unapologetically the way that we knew how. And Chris Coleman gave us the space to do so. And we didn't have to change a single lyric in the production because it was, it was a reality. Black people lived in Oklahoma. Black people lived in Denver, Colorado, like masses of people, full cities, full towns of black people. So it was it was easy to make that a reality because it was a reality. And it was it, it was such a humbling an amazing and beautiful experience. Like I still think about it to this day, my beautiful cast, man, beautiful supportive cast. And we did our thing. We did our thing. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, our industry is what it is. Um, you know, but when you look at the majesty of the production and how you've just described it, it's one of those moments to where a Broadway transfer is, a, it seems to me, a no-brainer. Man, we, I'm not going to lie, we really thought that there was a possibility of that. Because to me, when you revive something, it's, it means to bring back to life, not bring old life into oldness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it means to revive, to renew, to, you know, invigorate. Come on. And I, you know, not and not to take I, the, the 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 revival that they had on Broadway. It, it it was it was nice. They did what what they needed to do. But man, I just I I, I loved our production, and I just know that if more people had seen that production, they would have understood the importance of what we did. Yeah. And that and that's 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 a great mo- uh, great word that you just said the importance of the work, um, the importance, and being able to reflect back to Greenwood, um, right. and all the other cities in Oklahoma. That you know, it, it's a very relevant moment, um, and I think right. that's what theater is, um, and it's it's supposed to be, um, and of course it's supposed to be the other stuff, Dream Girls, all that stuff. Yes, yes. You know, but it's these moments, um, you know, where theater becomes that mirror um, that we get to turn back on ourselves and ask the questions, ask the uncomfortable questions and dig deeper into, you know, these narratives of the black cowboy. Um, And, you know, a lot of the things that they try to diminish within the history of black history, American history, um, and being able to see moments like that. And I think. You know, it, it, it's all hand in hand when you look at what we deal with with critical race theory and not being able to teach that in schools and all of that. And it, it, it's kind of scary, but we, I'm thankful that we're in a place as artists where we can call to action on, on items like this and be proponents right. for more moments like this. Um, right. You know, because like what Pearl Bailey did, you know, with the production that they Hello, did Dolly. You know, Hello Dolly back in the day, that right. was just you know, a monumental uh, achievement for Broadway, we still need to see those things happening. So I'm definitely a champion for productions like that. And, you know, you know, who knows? You never know what, you know, could happen on down the line. But 
is right. definitely important to talk about that. And I'm so I'm glad we had the opportunity to just revisit that moment because it just just looking at the pictures and the video that's available on YouTube, it just seemed very relevant and important. Like going back to that word and what you said, important. So I'm it was very relevant, very important, very real, very real. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we talk so much about diversity and inclusion and the continued fight as performers of color in this business. Why do you think it's important to be vocal about this as an artist, particularly in the theater? I feel that if we're not vocal about it, we won't be able to move forward. And we got to let people know that we are, we mean what we say. We mean what we are doing. It is important for other people to, um, what am I trying to say? It, I think it's important for other people to see other, other sides, other, um, Oh, man, what are the, man, the words are escaping me right now. Um, but like other lived experiences through mm-hmm. other people's eyes because it's not just one-sided. And I feel like it is one-sided, even though it's not one-sided. I don't know if that makes sense. But I just think I just think being able to see lived experiences through other people's eyes are very important or will continue to be stuck in the one-sided world that we are in right now, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I think I go back to um, productions like Cabaret. Right. The Diary of Anne Frank. Right, right. We're able to see these shows and to understand the lived experience of right. our Jewish brothers and sisters in the Holocaust. Right. And because we're able to see them, then we start to have apathy and empathy. Right, right. And then when we see, and, and it's, it's almost a a a a social uh, snowball. I don't want to say social, but it's kind of like a snowball effect. Of once you start to see it, you have the apathy and the empathy. And then when you see something happening or some type of persecution towards that demographic in the rel- in the current times, you even more so want to be behind them in their fight for justice. Right, right. And we, it, it's one of those things where we see that with certain different groups of people, but when it comes right. to another group of people, we don't, we don't empathize in the right. fight. Why are they marching again? Right. Oh, Lord, why they why they protesting? And it becomes those moments of putting that reality in our in, in in on the stage, on the television screen, to be able to start that snowball effect of okay, and now I see why. Now I understand. I'm empathizing. Okay, now right, I get it. Right. Now we need to put right. things in place for change. And I think right. art is the catalyst for that. Right. And I think it's also important for our future generations of uh, of our people to be able to see themselves in the future because 
you know, art that is being made now is revived in 20 years from now. If we don't have enough of our own shows, of our own lives, again, of our own lived experiences, what 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 revivals are we going to have in the future for our future generations to see? Right. You know what I mean? I mean, and not even just on stage, but television shows. You know, we are, we're, we have no more of the Cosby shows, uh, the different worlds, uh, the, the living singles. You know, then the, there was a time. Last season. Right. There was a time where all of those shows were running at the same time, basically. Yeah. And now we have, what do we have? I, I don't know. We had black and what else do we, what else do we have? Like, I'm, I'm being serious. Like, yeah, you know, you know, we have our cable shows like Insecure. Um, right, but how many, how, how many people got, I'm not going to lie, how many people got cable? Now, I don't have cable. I haven't had cable for five or six years that I'm just thinking about. Network TV. Yeah. Something that's going right. to come into your living room. And, and I'm think, and I'm not talking about like our age group, but like when I was ten and eleven, like we had we had the Cosby Show, we had the the different world. Like I, the kids that are now that are ten and eleven, what do they have? They're not watching Insecure. They're no. not watching that stuff. No, they they. The Cosby Show was a family show. Mm-hmm. Where the black family sat down on Thursday night at seven o'clock and watched it. Now, I cannot think of a show where our families sit down and watch and, like, get a life lesson or see a legend on TV. The Cosby Show brought so many legends and icons to the forefront. Nancy Wilson. I mean, they had Nancy Wilson, Leon Horns, Sammy Davis, uh, Dizzy Gillespie. I mean, the list went on and on. Yeah. We don't have that anymore. Like those, those, those shows were not only teaching life lessons, but also giving us pride in who we were. And we hear the term unapologetically black a lot now because that's where we are in our world socially. Um, but when you think of everything that you just said, that was unapologetically black as hell. That was unapologetically black. I mean, even though it had to be polished for whatever, you know, to be on television, but it was still unapologetically black and like uplifting. Mm-hmm. I mean, Heathcliff was a doctor. Claire was a lawyer. You know, originally, uh, 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 Bill Cosby was supposed to be a cab driver in the Bill in the Cosby show. Wow! And he ended up being a doctor. Thank God. Amen. Yeah. Man, 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 man. Yeah, I just, I, I just feel that that that's why it's important now more than ever because we don't have the things that we had growing up now to show kids that are coming up now. What the possibilities are. Yeah. Yeah. And if we do, they're very far and in between. Yeah, and our kids have been swayed in, you know, in different ways to not hold things like that as important as well. To not hold don't get me started on the music business. That'll yeah, be that's we'll a whole other podcast. That's a whole we'll other podcast. <laughs> 
you know, it, it's disheartening, um, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the sil- you know, like, you got to look for the silver lining, like Annie says, um, in knowing that we are in this thing, doing what we're doing, one for, you know, we can't say we're not doing it for a selfish moment, a pleasure of loving what we, you know, of this dream of what we wanted to do. But right. there is that moment of knowing that you have a charge that's a little bit higher than your selfishness. Right. And that's the blessing and, 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 you know, and the silver lining that we have moving forth is knowing that we're in the business, we're working, we're doing it. And we also have a purpose behind it as well. We have a purpose behind it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're not uh, starting something crazy with working in the MJ musical, what, you know, you know, I, I knew that, you know, this was something that you had uh, coming along when you were talking about it over the summer. But you're, you're, I think you're currently in previews, correct? Yes. We, uh, we started previews actually December 6th, and we opened uh, February 1st. So we will have had nearly two months of previews. Okay, tell us about this experience. Tell, I mean, I, I definitely don't want you to give it all away because we need people to come. Oh, I won't because legally I can't do that. We, we need people <laughs> to come and buy some tickets. We need them to come and see the show and, and experience uh-huh. But uh-huh. you know, give the the people a, a taste of what what do they experience when they come to MJ the musical? I truly believe that no, not that I truly believe. I know that you will have a life changing experience when you come see MJ the musical. Um, it was very important for our producers for our. Um, creative team to um, make sure everything was done correctly um, because Michael Jackson is such an iconic person and he changed lives globally. And when I say globally, I mean literally globally mm-hmm. where he had grown men passing out at his mere presence. Right. I mean, he just had that effect on people. Um, it's definitely going to take you back to moments where you first heard your favorite MJ song. I mean, it's just, the whole show is just TV. And I know it, to everyone that sees it, it's just a big old huge moment of nostalgia that takes you back there's certain moments in your life and you just are smiling and you just are just happy. Um, it's, it's definitely a show that people need to come see, especially right now, because it's truly uplifting. And it just reminds us of the love and compassion that Michael had, uh, not just as an entertainer, but also for people, yeah. which we need more than anything right now. Yeah. In 2022, love and compassion for people. And I promise when you walk out of that theater, you're going to want to run out of the street and hug and give love. And I don't know about that. that I don't know meet. about hugging. Well, you know, I, maybe not a hug, but maybe like a nice, strong elbow bump. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I want to love you, you on you, but I can't. 
Right, but you will definitely leave the theater a, a much happier, better person than when you arrived. I, I, I promise you that. Now, that's the essence of true theater. You know, I always Absolutely. say you walk in one way, you you got to leave a changed person. Right, right. And I, you, you will make that change when you Come on. <laughs> Come on. That's a little lyric drop. <laughs> Um, and, and and you're playing an iconic figure in Americana. I mean, you're Barry Gordon. What is that like to even? Like, how did you even approach that moment? Um, you know, Barry Gordon and I had this conversation with uh, with a couple of my castmates not too long ago. Barry Gordon not only produced stars. He literally produced icons and legends mm-hmm. that are living today. And when I say icons and legends, I mean people with 50, 60 year careers that are still going. Diana Ross, Stevie Wonder, Smokey Robinson. Like, when you, when you hear those names, think Barry Gordy because the Jackson High. Right. This man produced all of these icons and legends. So to, to even be able to live with that each and every day, Barry Gordy, we honored who just turned 92 years old, wow. uh, like a month ago or two months ago. But to, you know, to have the ability to even say I am playing this man on a Broadway stage for even a moment is truly humbling to me. It's because of what he did. I mean, he changed the face of music in America. Yeah. And put so many black faces in front of America in a time where black faces weren't welcome in the same spaces as, as, as other people. But they were able to come in and perform for them, but then they had to leave immediately. How crazy does that sound? You can come in and perform for us, but you can't. You can't eat uh, 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 a pizza. You can't stay here. You can't drink water next year. You can't swim in our swimming pool. But you can come in here and perform for us. But to to be able to, you know, to just share in a little bit of what that experience was like for Mr. Barry Gordy is truly, truly humbling. And man, to be from Gary, Indiana, yeah, and Michael Jackson being a hometown you know, icon, hero, again, it, it, the whole show, the whole process has been a full circle, humbling and beautiful moment for me that I will never for one moment take for granted. Yeah, and this is historic, you know, and I'm, you know, and I'm very honored, honored to be able to have you <laughs> talking about this because oh, thank you. one, you know, I think about, you know, for me as a playwright, as, you know, with every play that I've written, unless it's something that's a period piece, slavery piece, or something like that, there, I'm always drawn to something Motown-ish. In, <laughs> there is a character, you know, there is something that will have a Motown spin or a feel to it 
no matter what. And, you know, as we know, it's the heartbeat of America. It, it, I think they right. said about Ford trucks, but no, no, not Ford trucks. It is definitely the Motown sound. And Motown gave us the hope that we needed. It gave us the hope that we needed. I think that without Motown, we, we would be in a whole different place right now. We would. Truly. Truly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't want to talk too much about MJ the Musical because I want people to come <laughs> and buy tickets and, you know, get in the seats. Uh, and I'm going to say, I'm going to say, uh, buy while you take while you can because there might be a, a time where you like, please let us in the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll pay anything. We'll stand on the, on the edge of the balcony to watch. But it's going to be sold out every day. Come on, speak it. <laughs> Wow. So y'all heard that. Theater goers, people that are in New York, um, you know, people that are planning to get to New York to see a Broadway show, you've got to go check out my boy in MJ the Musical. We are uh, open and we are open strong, baby. Come on out. Yeah. Get those tickets, y'all, and uh, and let's make it happen. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm coming to the end of this and I, you know, I, I, I have to edit myself because I can tell by the way that we are talking that this could go on for hours. Um, we might have to do uh, a number two. two. Uh, part two, definitely. <laughs> um, I might have to do it, uh, you know, get all of y'all, all of my uh, for colored boys uh, together and have a, a oh, reunion. Oh, that would be, that would be amazing. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I've just been so blessed to meet you know, all of you guys. And is that, that, again, that was another monumental moment because I think that was the first time we all were able to get in the space and do theater. Yeah. That was, that was my first theater show back after the, the shutdown. That was the first time I had been on stage as an actor since the shutdown. Yeah. And we didn't do a reading. We did a show. That was, Oh, cool. We absolutely did a show right off that wall. Or gave the new, there is a new <laughs> definition <laughs> of what a stage definition is under the direction Hartwell. of Robert Hartwell. <laughs> a new definition because let me tell you something. And, you know, now it's just like, you know, and of course I'm in my slavery mind. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. We're under an equity reading contract. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, they go. I said, you know what? Forget them. Forget it. We we came and did what we had to do, and it was done the way that it needed to be done. Look, listen, I, I'm forever grateful, forever grateful for that moment, and forever grateful to all of y'all, um, because that just, you know, was a moment that really um, just – open my eyes to what this piece is and what it's going to be. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll talk more about that. We, this is not a for color boys moment at all, but I really <laughs> want to just, just thank you for, um, you know, taking the time out to talk with us on the podcast and, and, you know, just delve a little bit more into, you know, your life and what has brought you to where you are um, now if you could tell your younger self something, what would it be? I would tell myself, Antoine Lamont Smith, whatever you do, 
no matter what it is, do it with full intention. Because the universe answers to vagueness. If you are vague about what you want to do, if you are vague about what you want to be, the universe will give you that vagueness. If you are intentional with what you want to do and what you want to be, the universe also responds that way. And I am learning in my adulthood that being intentional is the only way that you are going to make it. You got to be intentional about how you treat yourself. You got to be intentional about how you allow others to treat you. You got to be intentional about who is so, who you who you allow to surround you. It's just all about being intentional. So Antoine Lamont Smith, be intentional with all that you do. Y'all heard it here <laughs> from the horse's mouth. Intention. Antoine, I just want to say again, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to talk with us on the Broadway and Beyond podcast. This has been an utter delight, an honor and a pleasure, and I just can't wait to see what's next. I know that, you know, there's so many, um, you know, different things that I'm sure that you're working on. You have brewing coming up and, I'm just excited to see what's next uh, for you. Um, and and hopefully, you know, we'll see where the cards lie with this little old show that we were working on over the summer. <laughs> it's uh, not a little old show. We ain't calling it that. Oh, man. I'm, I'm uh-uh. excited to see where that's going to go. It's gonna a big show. Oh. And it's going to be big. We ready. Hashtag, <laughs> we ready. Hashtag let's go. Oh yeah, um, but yeah, Antoine, it's been a it's been a pleasure. I thank you so much again uh, for being on the podcast. And everyone, if you can get to New York City to see the MJ musical, please do so. Get your tickets, Antoine. How can people follow you? Uh, Antoine A N T O I N E L Smith S M I T H thirty two on Instagram. Antoine L Smith. 32 on Instagram. I don't have Facebook and Twitter, so that's good. Hey, that's good enough. That is good <laughs> too enough. Too much social media is too much. It is. It is. Too much anything is too much. <laughs> there it is, you guys. Thank you again, Antoine. And we just want to say uh, love and light to you, and may God keep blessing you on your endeavors and the things that you have going on. Thank you so much for this interview. Thank you. Peace and blessings to you, my friend. I will speak or speak to or see you soon. There it is, y'all. <laughs> As you can tell from the length of this interview, Antoine and I could go on and on. This man's journey to Broadway is a beautiful story. And his story is proof positive that if you stay in it and stay connected to your faith or belief system, that the desires of your heart will be given unto you. We have confirmed that there will be a part two of this interview. I'm excited for that. I hope that you are making plans to get your tickets to MJ the Musical in New York City. I know I cannot wait to see this fabulous show. I hope also that you make plans to come back to listen to the podcast in two weeks. My special guest is the talented Broadway star and breakout star of the Amazon Prime original series, Harlem. 
the incomparable Jonathan D. Burke. You don't want to miss yet another candid conversation with this fabulously talented artist. Now, as many of you know, international fashion mogul and former editor at large of Vogue magazine, Mr. Andre Leon Talley, recently gained his wings. From the haute couture Parisian fashion houses to the American ateliers, he gave insight to Yves Saint Laurent and helped so many launch their fashion brands. Andre Leon Talley was a name that echoed within the walls of prestigious fashion houses globally. Mr. Talley was the definition of a Renaissance man. He interned under the Diana Vreeland and soon became an editor at Vogue. He was the first black man sitting front row at all of the fashion shows in Paris with the likes of Karl Lagerfeld and Anna Wintour. He was friends with the great Andy Warhol and Bianca Jagger. Andre Leon Talley was American fashion. He made a way for black boys like me and for so many others. So I want to leave you all with one of my favorite quotes from Mr. Talley. It says, Luxury is to be able to take control of one's life, health, and the pursuit of happiness in a way that is joyful. Andre Leon Talley will forever be in our hearts and forever etched in the fabric of American international global fashion. We salute you, Mr. Talley. I want you all to be blessed. And when you get that blessing, don't forget to be a blessing to someone else. Have a good one. Bye-bye.